diva. Honestly, Geordie. Oh. Hey, Michelle. Hi, Geordie. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. Where are you? I am in Australia. Hooray! That's where I am. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. You've been there a while now, a week? Yeah, I've been here like five, six days. It's been wonderful. It's been four years, a long time coming. And Maui. it's just gorgeous to be back, even though it's been raining nearly every day. Oh, see, people that don't live in Australia, it does rain. We do have seasons. I say we, they have seasons. It's true. And do you know what? I did have the pleasure of going for a walk around Centennial Park in Sydney with my old lovely friend Rachel, who is an eavesdropper. Eavesdroppers. Oh, well, we better give her a shout out then, hadn't we? Yes. Well, her and Pete, they apparently listen, they binge it. So thanks for being eavesdroppers, guys. Shout out. Shout out to Rachel and Pete and shout out to all of you bingers and eavesdroppers out there because we're (laughs) eavesdropping. No, hang on. We are eavesdropping the podcast. We're having a conversation and you're eavesdropping on it, but we encourage that. We want you to. We can't hear you when you respond, as I've explained before, but it's fine because we just get to shit talk all the way through without interruptions. (laughs) We do. And in case you didn't know who we are, I'm Michelle. She's Geordie. I'm Geordie. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) And you're eavesdropping. 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 So, Michelle, I watched that James Bond film this week. Oh, what? um... No time to die. I'm not really sure how the song goes. Billy Eilish or something like that. Didn't think it was the most classic of theme tunes, but I have been out of the loop regarding Bond no. for some decades. So didn't really know what was going on. The f- opening scenes were not suitable for a nine-year-old. We learned that lesson pretty quickly. Whoops. Oh, yes. No, that's quite grim. Because I went to this lovely little cinema. It's a pop-up cinema in Switzerland. It's this amazing hotel. And then suddenly chandeliers drop from the ceiling. What? Yeah, they roll like from underneath the the stage, the go-go stage in this nightclub. Go-go? They roll out these amazing bespoke uh, cinema chairs and it's an experience. And I watched Bond there. It was wonderful. Was it this very same Bond that's a little bit confusing? It was this very same Bond. Right, yeah. At one point he goes underwater, do you remember? And then there's Q, who's lovely Ben Whishaw, had given him all sorts of gadgets and things like a wristwatch and all sorts of things, the usual Bond paraphernalia. And I said to my daughter, who could watch it, she doesn't mind a bit of darkness, though that opening scene didn't bother her. I said Mm. to her, look, see, he's very resourceful, that James Bond, isn't he? Always gets himself out of scrapes (laughs) because he's trained and he's done this and that and he's got all these gadgets. It's good to be resourceful. And she said, well, that's why I always wear an elastic band on my wrist. Oh, I get it because I usually have an elastic band on my wrist. And in my younger years, I always carried a plastic bag. You never know when you're going to need one. That's right. <laughs> I'm a bag lady. I'm a bag lady with a plastic bag. That's what I am. <laughs> Learned it all from Jen. Learned it all from Jen. <laughs> How is Jen, by the way? Are we going to hear from her on a podcast? Have a feature Featuring Jen the Hen, one episode. Look, I'm going to the can next week. Going to see Jen, see if she's up for it or not. But okay. We won't force her. No, well, I could. 
remember. <laughs> my name is Jen and I'm being held against my will. Well, you know, I would love to hear Jen say, I'm just going to pick up my panties and go. I'd love but to hear that. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Although I will say she did say to me, now when you're here, I want you to take me shopping for some jeggings. So jeggings? Jen's jeggings. <laughs> That's why we're, we're going shopping for some jeggings for Jen. Oh, jeggings. <laughs> Jennings. Jen's Jenning. Jen's jeggings. What? <laughs> she could start her own clothing business. Jen's oh, jeggings. Oh, my God. That's like a spork, isn't it? Like a spoon and a fork a sp- mixed together and jeans and a legging together, surely. Jeggings. Well, I thought that was a splayed. What? That's a brand, isn't it? Spode. No, a splayed is a fork... That's almost got a scoop, like a spoon in the shape of the fork, but with a blade. It's all of them, all wrapped up. It's a splayed. Ah, what's she on about? What? Silly bitch. What? We're talking about pets this episode, I believe. Is that right? Yeah, we are. We're talking about pets. And in particular, I had told you, yes, let's do an episode on psychic pets, but I have to warn you, Geordie. You couldn't find any. I don't have much. I don't have much, but I've got some good shit. So. Okay. Well, I'm concerned because um, I too could find not much on psychic pets. So because we keep it a secret from each other, what we're going to talk about, I wonder if we've got the same stories today, Michelle, of all the three stories about pet psychics that are on the internet. Well... Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> but it could be. But look, I actually have to dedicate this topic to my friend Zoe Folbig, who we talked about last week. She's this wonderful author. Because when I saw her recently, we were talking about how pets can be psychic. And she told me a personal story about a cat. Oh. And I look, I think it was a cat. I can't actually remember this story properly. Could have been a tiger. Could have been a dog. I don't know. But I think it was a cat. And look, sorry, Zoe, if I've got this story wrong. Michelle, you had one job. You had one job. One job, and that was to remember. To remember. I don't know. I, I potentially have this wrong. Apologies in advance. But she told me this story about a cat that kept lying across its owner's throat. And this cat had never done this before. So it was really strange. It was bizarre. And it wasn't just one time. It kept happening. This cat out of nowhere would come, lie across the throat of its owner. And then one day, the woman who was like at the doctor, she'd gone to the doctor, not because of, oh, my cat's sleeping on my throat, but she just said, oh, look, it's really weird. My cat keeps like lying across my throat. She said, oh, maybe just check out. Is there something gross there? I don't know. Is the cat smelling something anyway turns out she had throat cancer oh my god and and zoe and i were talking about this and we were like oh my god psychic pets like did the cat know was the cat psychic like was it trying to give the owner a message well they say that dogs can sniff out tumors well i'm gonna get to that because this led me down a wormhole a dog hole an animal hole (laughs) well hang on seriously (laughs) that sounds awful We don't want to go down any dog holes. No, we do not. And actually, do you know what? I'm staying with my sister at her place in Sydney and there's this lovely little ginger cat who comes to the door and he's not allowed to come in. And I was giving him a pat. Honestly, all I saw is as soon as I pat this cat, 
turns around, shows me his a-hole. That's it. Oh. That's what dogs do. I mean, so cats, cats, cats. That's what cats do. They just want to show you their, their dairy air, <laughs> which is actually a good drag name. So when I had been talking to Zoe about dogs. Yeah. Uh, sorry, cats. Why do I keep saying dogs? Or whatever. Some kind of furry friend. This reminded me of a story that I had heard. I have to, again, preface this. Oh, can I just say, if you're hearing something in the background, I'm under a flight path. So oh my God. These are not ideal conditions. Apologies. The thing was, it triggered a memory in me. Uh, and I don't know if I read this story or somebody told me because my memory is shit. But it was the story of a dog who, out of the blue one day, went up to its owner and started sniffing a particular toe on a particular foot. Not all the toes, just one toe. And it was a really odd behaviour and not something that the dog had ever done before. And the owner was like, kind of like, whatever, get off my toe, ignoring it until <laughs> yeah. it freaked him out one day because it's like this dog was always at that toe. Yeah. So the next time he went to the doctor, he said, oh, look, doc, can you just take a look at my toe to see if there's like any kind of skin condition or a weird fungus because my dog won't leave this toe alone. Mm-hmm. Anyway, turns out there was a tiny mole under <gasps> the toe. that had become malignant and cancerous. And the dog had gone straight for that toe. Oh, my goodness. So this really got me thinking, like, are these dogs psychic or is it something else? So I did do a little digging, a little duck-duck going on whether or not pets can really intuit cancer or if it's something else. Just their very extremely high sense of smell. Yeah, spoiler alert, dogs aren't psychic. (laughs) They've just got really amazing senses of smell, haven't they? They live by that. They do. But I'm going to tell you some stuff because, like I said, I went down a a rabbit hole. Yeah. So I actually went to the Cancer Research UK website and there is a whole section dedicated to this because (gasps) apparently they get a lot of queries about pets persistently sniffing a certain part of the body and, and the owners are like, fuck, like, do I have cancer? And they go on to Cancer Research. So according to cancer research, it all comes down to the molecules our bodies give off that then diffuse in the air around us. And this is what dogs can smell when they come near us. And how it works is that if the cells in our body become altered in some way, and like in this case, if some of our cells have cancer, those cells release a different range of molecules to healthy cells. And these dissolve in the blood, they travel to our lungs and then evaporate in the air we breathe out. Wow. And that's what the dogs can smell. So we actually smell different. And I kind of believe this because I can smell when Andreas is sick before he even knows that he's sick. No, but he smells different. And I know a lot of mums who are, no, stop it. It sounds disgusting, but it's not. But I know a lot of mums who are really good at this when, they comes, when it comes to their kids. It's true. It's, I mean, a sense of, it's, it's one of the senses that has been kind of dismissed a little bit, I think, than, uh, over the other senses. And I think smell, and I've got a really like highly sensitive sense of smell. I think it's one of our most important. I think so too. And when it comes to dogs and cancer, this theory really has legs because 
dogs have loads more olfactory receptors in their noses than humans. And in some cases, dogs can smell cancer in humans because the tumours do produce these unusual molecules. There are studies, and there are a few of these, a few studies where dogs are trained to tell the difference between urine samples <laughs> from bladder cancer patients mm-hmm. and, and wee samples from healthy people. Actually, there was a scientist in the UK called Carolyn Willis and she conducted an experiment after training dogs where she presented the dogs with wee samples from six healthy people and one from a cancer patient. And the scientists found that the dogs could identify with uh, the people with the cancer 41% of the time. And they say that if this was chance, the dogs would only pick the the right sample 14% of the time. So I was thinking, forty-one mm, percent. That's 50, that's less than fifty-fifty. I don't know if there's mm. that's so good. Yeah. But there was also a scientist uh, from the U.S. called Michael McCulloch, and he trained five dogs using and trained them to like look at breath samples yeah. from lung and breast cancer patients. And then he conducted this double-blind experiment. And, and what that means is that neither the dogs or the handlers knew which samples were the cancer and which ones were the healthy ones. Mm. So there wasn't any kind of, you know, bias in the way that people were putting the dogs into the, into the experiment. And also, the, you know, they put samples from people who the dogs hadn't previously sniffed Mm -hmm. and they found that like with only a few weeks of training the dogs could spot the cancer patient samples with really really high levels of accuracy and look there's actually another study by a a company called Biosent DX Cancer Research Group in Florida in the states where they did a study that found dogs could detect a scent that is linked to epileptic seizures. Oh my goodness. And and what that means, you know, is that there is a possibility that dogs could be trained to warn their owners of when a seizure is about to happen. How? How would you train a dog to do that? That's insane. And also I want to know how I can train my dog to sniff out any potential cancers in me and my family. I did think about this because I thought we've got to get winter on the case because, yes. you know, like... It's kind of amazing. Look, there's actually another... I've got a couple more studies that I want to talk to you about because I think they're amazing. There was a lung cancer study using beagles where the dogs were presented with human blood samples and they correctly identified the lung cancer samples 96.7% of the time. Amazing. They disregarded... The other samples, 97.5% of the time. That's some high stats there, Michelle. Stat me up. I think it's amazing because for me, when I think about like training dogs, it's relatively inexpensive to do when you consider that, you know, to create machinery and whatever. The price of an MRI, yeah. If if these stats are correct, it's pretty accurate. It's non-invasive to humans. And if the evidence is right, it does really suggest that dogs can be used for the early detection of cancer. Plus, dogs are now being trialed to smell breast cancer on the breath of patients. And there's also evidence that dogs can now detect Parkinson's 
sometimes years before the symptoms start to show. But what happens with Parkinson's? That's not really something that you can avoid getting, can you? Like once you know you've got the symptoms, you're there, you're in it. Yes, but these are these are years before the symptoms start to show. So I think that if you know you're, you've got Parkinson's, you could potentially just use that time before your body like goes to pot to really like think about, okay, what training can I do to like get my body strong, to get my, my brain in the best mm. shape it can mm. be? Okay. Um, you know, do I need to get my affairs in order? Like all of that stuff. Like I think it just gives you an early warning right. to what's what's coming. Although can you imagine if you had yeah. no clue? You, and then this dog goes mad for it, for yeah. Parkinson's, sniffing around and then you're like, It's like a bolt me, from the blue. My. But it would be 20 years down the line when you got it anyway, wouldn't it? Equally, well, but then yeah. you'd be a bit more prepared. Yeah. The day has come. You've you've put all your occupational therapy needs in in place, or whatever it is yeah. that you need. Exactly, and you know they're also um, saying that dogs are being trained to help diabetics know when their blood sugar level is dropping okay. or spiking. Yeah, and apparently researchers um, reported that there were two Labrador Golden Retriever cross dogs who were able to correctly identify 70% of samples that had malaria. So medicine is also turning to dogs more and more to help like I- identify disease early. Hmm. And and I and I love this idea because I mean as long as the dogs aren't being exploited it it seems like it's a really gentle way to get you know these predictive results. Yeah. And and look, you know, it's not it's not a hundred percent because I did also read that there have been some other like experiments where dogs haven't done so well. But I think just like humans, dogs dogs aren't machines. So I'm I'm sure there are some dogs or some breeds that are better at sniffing out cancer than other dogs. And I'm sure it comes down to the training too, which is down to the handler. So what about having a dog in your GP's office just for the early warning signs? So when you're sitting in front of your GP saying, I've got this thing, it's been bugging me. And they'll say, well, we, you know, it's getting, you know, my budget says, they won't tell you this, but my budget indicates that I cannot send another patient off to get exploratory surgery or exploratory tests. Why don't I just let, Mm. what's his name? Beaver. Rufus. Rufus. <laughs> beaver. Because they're beaver. dog beaver. Honestly, Geordie. Oh. <laughs> Let's get Rufus here to have a little whiff of you. And if there's any indication he could be wrong, just a preemptive kind of, it's not always accurate, but let him have a whiff of you. If he indicates there might be something, then I've got the go ahead to send you off to MRI scans and blood analysis or whatever else is needed. Well, look, I actually think that's a great idea because, you know, for all the reasons I just said, it's non-invasive, it's relatively inexpensive and it's hopefully not exploitative to the dogs. Yes. But most importantly. No, really. Like, you know, our, our furry friends, our animal friends on this planet deserve as much respect as as humans we do yes so i was duck duck going as i do and i found this article in um that amazing newspaper called the sun (laughs) and it and it had a great headline and it was my dog has found 550 cancers and he saved my life oh my god let me just say quickly in defense of the sun i don't love that (laughs) but it is a lot more 
factually accurate than, say, the likes of The Daily Star. I would agree. I think The Daily Star just makes up shit. It's like the National Enquirer of the UK. It is a bit. So this article is kind of amazing because it's about a 12-year-old dog called Daisy that has such an amazing sense of smell. And it's a he. Daisy's a he. Oh, that good. He can smell. Yeah. He can smell the equivalent of one drop of blood in two Olympic-sized swimming pools of water. So his sense of smell is incredible and he can sniff out cancer in seconds. Has he been trained for that? Well, yes. So in the article, I mean, actually, this is just a little aside. In the same article, it talked about a border collie in the UK called Bessie who alerted her owners, Philip and Paula Wood, to the fact that their two-year-old daughter, Philippa, had leukaemia. (gasps) How amazing is that? That's so amazing. It is, really. Like, fuck. Can you imagine? You'd be like, why Why is this dog, like, sniffing yeah. around my two-year-old? Oh, leukaemia. Yeah. And they also talked in this article about how Shannon Doherty, remember her? Yes. 90210. Yes. She was the bitch, wasn't she? <laughs> she Brenda. The bitch. Yes. Well, she reckons her German shepherd, Bowie, was the one that alerted her to the fact that she had breast cancer. Oh. Yeah. So, kind of amazing. But this article actually really focuses on Daisy, uh, who is owned by a woman called Dr. Claire Guest. And she's the chief executive of an organization called Medical Detection Dogs. It's a thing. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So, I think Daisy was also going to be, like, always kind of, you know, going to be trained for this kind of thing. Yeah. And Daisy is actually part of a specialist team of highly trained dogs who diagnose cancer day in, day out at a lab near Milton Keynes. Mm -hmm. So, the way it works is every day Daisy goes into the office, she sniffs urine samples taken from patients and... Honestly, there's only 0.5 mils of wee in each sample, which is like tiny, less than a drop, less than a drop of wee you'd see on a toilet seat. And these samples are from people with prostate cancer, bladder cancer, kidney cancer. Oh, great. Okay. And all the samples, they're all on this carousel and they're all mixed in with healthy wee samples. And Daisy just goes around this carousel sniffing each sample, not even for a second, because I've seen like there's footage of Daisy. And she's just like, sniff, move on, sniff, move on. But when she sniffs a cam- cancer sample, mm-hmm. she sits in front of it, very, very still, and she looks her handler right in the eye. Wow. Yeah. So it's very clear when she's found a cancer sample. And her owner talks about how she first got interested in dogs detecting cancer. And it's because she had this friend who had told her about a pet, a pet Dalmatian who kept pouring at a mole on her friend's leg Mm -hmm. and just wouldn't leave this mole alone. And it was always sniffing it to the point where the friend eventually was like, fuck, I've got to find out what's going on with this mole. Yes. And it was a malignant melanoma. Far out. And that's what inspired Claire, Dr. Claire, to train Daisy from 12 weeks old to start sniffing samples. Yeah. And it kind of saved her life because in 2009, Claire was diagnosed with breast cancer. (gasps) But this was after, out of the blue, Daisy would not leave her chest alone. Mm-hmm. So it started when Claire took Daisy out for a run. But on this particular day, Daisy just wouldn't stop jumping up at her chest and staring at her, which was really, really 
unusual behavior for Daisy. Yeah. And then after the dog walk, Claire felt like there was kind of a bit of a bruise where Daisy had been jumping up at her. But it was weird because Daisy had been really gentle. She hadn't been like jumping hard on yeah. Claire. So, you know, Claire's thinking, well, fuck, I train dogs to like find cancer. I need to get to the doctor. Yeah, ding, ding. So, ding, 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 ding. Really? And and she went to the doctor and, and it got checked out and she did a mammogram and it showed that really, 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 really far back in her breast tissue, she had a lump and it was a cancer that was so deep that if Daisy hadn't drawn her attention to it, it would not have been found until it was a really big tumour and basically too late. So So that saved her life. She was okay. She had it removed, etc. Yep. They went, we've detected this early enough to remove it completely and they got rid of the whole cancer. Whereas if if it had grown to the point where it had been big enough to be detected, it would have been too late. Mm -hmm. So Daisy's a fucking hero, you know. And, And so is Claire for training her. Yeah. Absolutely. And so now Claire is campaigning the NHS to be more creative in the methods they use to detect cancer because, you know, she's training these dogs that, you know, all they need is like a breath, a wee or a poo sample and they can detect cancers. And they're cancers that could, you know, save people's lives if it's caught early enough. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, come on, Winter. we got to get Winter in on this. Because she does like to put her nose practically in your mouth to sniff you. That's all she does. She doesn't lick. She does. She's not a licky dog. She's a sniffy dog. She sniffs your face every morning. Whenever you're, If you're a new Aww. person, she wants to sniff around your face just to get the scent of you. She does. She does that to me. Do you know what? It would be really interesting, and I hope – I do not wish this for any of us, but, you know, she knows what I smell like. She obviously knows what all of you smell like. Imagine if one day she's like, that's not right. And she just Mm. starts like sniffing something on your body. Like, honestly, people, this is a warning. It is a warning and we have to be alert to it. When it comes to cancers and things like that, some words of advice from our friend Linda, who had a great story early on in season one, the big, the what was it? The big C? Yeah. Yeah. The other C word. The other C word. She said, if ever you've got an inkling of anything that might, might seem slightly wrong, don't sit on it. Just go and get it checked out. It doesn't cost anything to go to the doctor and just raise it, get some tech. Well, it does cost things. But, you know, if you're <laughs> equally, if your pet is behaving strangely around you, don't just think, oh, that's weird and move on. I think actually take it seriously. Instincts are an amazing thing. Like the sense of smell, instincts are another thing that we don't pay enough attention to. I agree. Or if you're in a nursing home, mm. think about what the cats in the nursing home are doing. Because are they sitting on the people that are I, about to die? Yes. There is a story <laughs> of, of Oscar the death cat. Not even joking. Yeah. Oscar the cat, the death cat, he was living in a place called the Steer House Nursing and Rehabilitation Centre in Providence, Rhode Island in America. Yeah. And he, he was there since 2005. And they got him in because they got this cat to be a companion cat to all the people in the nursing home. Yeah. And, you know, he would just be hanging around and, you know, going up for pats to people. So he really gave like a lot of love. But he would always, when it came to sleeping... He would find like little nooks away from all the people. So he had a bit of a time out for himself, right? However, he started coming out of hiding 
and curling up and sleeping next to the terminally ill nursing home residents who literally would later die within the next few hours. Oh. And there's a, doc- there's a doctor called Dr. David Dosa, and he was working as a health researcher at the nursing home at the time. And he said in an interview that Oscar would go up and, and sit with these terminally ill patients. It happened once. Then he predicted two deaths. And, and then, not even joking, it was 30 deaths in a row, at which point everyone was like, fuck. Don't, get, don't let that cat near me. I mean, yes, he, okay, he became kind of like the, the cat of death. Wouldn't it be awful but... if they discovered later that it's because it, like with CCTV, he was actually sitting on their face because cats do that. <laughs> <laughs> no, he was, he, he was just curling up next to them because sometimes when he would go in and start sitting with one of these terminally ill patients, they were like, get out, Oscar, get out, not yet, not yet. But he yeah. would go and he would be scratching at the door. He would be like trying to get back in. Yeah. And the thing is that Oscar became so accurate in his like napping predictions that the staff, when they saw it, they actually started contacting the families of the patients Oscar was right. like, sleeping with to tell them, listen. Come and be with your loved one. Yeah, it's going to be soon. Get in yeah. here. And yeah. and he really was like an omen of death, but they used it to like give the, give the families like that last moment with their mm. loved ones. And actually Dr. David Dosa wrote about Oscar in the New England Journal of Medicine and actually, from that article, the media caught hold of it and Oscar became a media sensation. And he he has a Facebook page with more than 4,000 followers. So I looked it up mm. and it's actually really sad because on February 23 oh this no. year, so literally no. just a few months ago, yeah. Oscar passed away. Oh, no. Yeah. So RIP Oscar. RIP. Oh, Michelle, that's an incredible story though. But look, I'm just going to wrap this up with one more quick story about Donut, who actually is a psychic dog. Oh, wow. Finally, we get a psychic dog. <laughs> I know. I had to go there. I had, I had to find it. So, Because yeah. obviously, like, dogs who sniff a toe aren't necessarily psychic. No. But I found this story. There's a woman called Beverly McCleary and she tells this story I mean, and actually, she's from somewhere in America, I don't know where. But she says that her father was working, like worked on a building site. Every day, he would go and pick up her brother, like her dad's son, her brother, Kenny. And they'd get a lift to work together. Her dad's dog, Donut, would always jump in the car and go along with her dad and her brother to work. But one day, and this was in November 2000, Donut started howling and whining and just refused to get in the car that morning yeah donut never does that donut's always the first one in there donut's behavior made kenny the son feel really uneasy about getting in the car and at the last moment kenny was like no not going to work today gonna take the day off and he didn't go to work so shortly after beverly's dad left kenny's place on his way to work without donut And without Kenny, Hmm. he collided with another car (gasps) and was killed. Oh, my God. Yeah. And there was an inquest and it could not prove the cause of death, which Beverly was like, she couldn't handle it. She was like, I really need to know how this went down. So three months after the accident, she rang a psychic called Craig Hamilton Parker. And she'd been to this guy before, so he knew a little bit about her. But 
she went to see him because she was like, look, I can't get over what happened with my dad. I want to know what happened. And at the reading, Craig was talking about her dad and exactly what her dad was like. And so, you know, she felt like Craig was connecting with her, her dad. And then he said, I have a message for you from your dad, which was basically your dad is telling me that it was the bump on his head that was the cause of the accident or of his death, not the accident, right? And Beverly was like, what the actual fuck? Because Beverly and only Beverly and maybe a couple of other people knew that a few days before the accident, her dad had suffered a blow to the head that he'd complained of dizziness and the doctor Mm. had given him some tablets. But what it was, he had some kind of reaction or something because of the the blow to the head and it wasn't that he was driving recklessly it wasn't about the other car it was also something that wasn't spotted at the autopsy but she's like oh my god you know that is exactly why dad died it was a blow to the head that had caused some kind of reaction but if it wasn't for donut the dog kenny could also have been in that car so there you go. I don't know. Was Donut having a psychic moment? You decide. I don't know. That's a tough one. That's amazing. Thank you, Michelle. We finally got our psychic pet. People, listen to me. People, don't do that. People, I told you, people. People, scary stuff. People. Now I also had difficulty finding a psychic pet story. So I scoured such publications as HuffPost, The Daily Beast and Weird News to get the following (laughs) stories, Michelle. So strap on in. I'm going to go all over the place. I'm going supernatural. I'm going true crime. I'm going real life. No, it's the trifecta. It's the eavesdropping trifecta. Here we go. So first of all, I'm going to talk to you about a little poodle called Princess, who was adopted by a woman called Olga Horvat. And Princess, once she arrived at Olga's house, was believed to be cursed because she brought bad luck to the family. Uh Uh-oh. So as soon as Princess was in the house, there was a bed bug infestation, which led to about $7,000 in exterminators fees from the building that they lived in. So this is in America. And Gross. also there was legal fees to fight an eviction because obviously they caused the bed bug infestation. Then Olga's husband was in a serious car accident and separately came down with a rare autoimmune disease called Churg-Strauss syndrome, which is like an asthma type kind of syndrome and it can be deadly. Then this is the weird one, right? The family's daughter was almost expelled from her school at around age eight. I think she was in year like second year or something for offending classmates with a perceived bigoted action. That's how it's written. I had to look into this. What she did was she put on a rubber glove and then grabbed the bare hand of a Muslim friend. So I spoke to a Muslim friend and asked, you know, is it not halal? What's wrong with rubber gloves? But actually, we decided it's probably because she put on a glove to touch her friend's hand. Oh, yeah. oh, I see. Which is like, disgusting. She doesn't right? want to touch. Yeah, yeah that's right. the worst oh. possible thing that a child could be doing to another child, no matter what. You know, that's terrible. Yeah. So the child realised it was wrong, but she blamed the whole incident on a strange voice that she heard in her head. Oh. Right? 
So Princess herself, the poor little poodle, had suffered a broken leg that didn't respond well to treatment. So Olga Horvat said that this was all due to her poor dog being possessed, which prompted her... (laughs) to write a book called Paranormal Pooch and also another one later on called When Dogs Fly. Kitching, it was all about the money. <laughs> <laughs> Paranormal Pooch. Paranormal Pooch and the accompanying website. You'll hear all about that. So she oh says, we had her for four months, May through September in 2006, and she didn't want to eat, sleep, couldn't be trained to learn simple commands. She was happy, but something was manipulating her. So then she also, mm. in conjunction with all the books that she's writing, she also launched a website called Royal Dogs Gallery which is a business that provides spiritual and holistic products and services solely for dogs and their owners. And she specifically sells energy shield pendants that supposedly block electromagnetic energy and evil spirits. So these pendants are for humans and they cost about $197. And then there's a pet version, which is 11 And there's a bit of mindful coloring on there as well on the website if you want to color in a, a doggy. You can do that on Olga's website. You're just cashing in. Cash dollar, in. Big dollar. Olga is convinced that something was attached to Princess. And I think you'll like this, Michelle, because she wonders whether it was the spirit of another animal, a human mm. spirit, or even, what do you An think? alien. An alien. <laughs> now, the weird thing is, Michelle, that poor Princess died four months after coming into Olga's life. In mysterious circumstances, she fell down someone's stairs while she was staying at their house and died. I don't think so. No. She was thrown. Boot. She was thrown. Yeah, a she boot got up the, the body. The <laughs> yeah, a boot up the dairy air. <laughs> so, in the intervening years since Princess's untimely passing, Olga Horvat has immersed herself in the minuscule amount of research surrounding possessed pets, and I can back that up. There's not much in. There's not much info out there. I really did search. Anyway, she discovered such things as, now, people, if you've got a dog, look at your dog now. You'll find out whether they potentially could be possessed. If they've got ears that point up, they're more prone to possession because the ones with the floppy ears don't have this problem because when they're sticking up, the spirit can get in there easier. That's what Horvat says. Right. Well, that's ridiculous. Yep. Okay. (laughs) Elsewhere on the internet, you can find other examples such as growling at church ministers peeing on gravestones or turning away when you hold a bible or crucifix to its face oh my god this whole thought about possessed dogs led me to the most famous case of a possessed dog in the 20th century we're talking about david berkowitz the son of sam murderer oh jesus you must know this story he was the murderer behind the son of sam killings in new york city between 1976 and 1977 he murdered six people and injured seven before being captured on august 10th my birthday 1977 David Berkowitz was the name of the assailant, the guilty party. And he said when he was arrested that Satan had possessed his neighbor Sam's dog and was sending him messages to kill. Right? What? Have you not I heard this? I don't know this? this story. I don't Mind know Hunter. this story. Mindhunter. You have to watch Mindhunter. It's all in there. It's fantastic. Oh, okay, okay. So David Berkowitz used to roam Queens and the Bronx neighborhoods in New York City with a .44 caliber revolver. .44? Yeah. Searching for young people to shoot while laying in wait. Fuck's sake. Killed six, wounded seven, 
Almost all of them were young women or men with long brown hair. And because of this, Michelle, women in the city began bleaching and cropping their hair. And obviously some others just never went out after dark. So Berkowitz was a postman. He had moved oh. into a two-bedroom two family. What do you? What was that? You can't trust a postman. Well, you know, <laughs> oh. dodgy posties. Dodgy, dodgy posties. We know all about that. And also... Do we? I've got a lovely postie. Dodge. He's, no, he's all right. He's um, lovely. Have a nice day, love. What? Do you remember the one that said... Have a nice day, love, or something. Well, that was Dan, the sexy one. No, it wasn't Dan. It was the Dan's replacement, his temporary replacement. Oh, uh, okay. But, you know, dogs and posties. Yes, that's true. Dogs and posties. That was that was my connection. That was my connection. That's the theory. Maybe Berkowitz had an issue with dogs generally because he was a postman. Anyway, he moved into Ooh. a two-bedroom family home in Yon... No, a two-family, sorry, home in Yonkers in New York City suburbs. So that means that he was living in one part of the home and then another family was living in another part so they were essentially living in the same house but his next door neighbor so the guy living in the other part of the house sam carr his name was reportedly his dog kept david berkowitz up all night with its howling and berkowitz later claimed that the dog was possessed and driven him to madness so during his spree he would leave cryptic notes and letters to the police some at the scene one of them said to stop me you must kill me Sam's a thirsty lad and he won't let me stop killing until he gets his fill of blood. And this son of Sam, Monica, that was bestowed upon him, it was actually by himself. He named himself son of Sam. So he'd write, you know, rather than being dubbed okay. the Night Stalker or the Zodiac Killer like the others were, you know, through media or police operations, mm. Berkowitz just decided to dub himself son of Sam. He was actually, before that, he was just known as the 4.44 caliber killer. Because that's how he would kill his victims. So anyway, okay. when he was arrested, Sam told the police that a 6,000-year-old demon named Sam spoke to him through his neighbour Sam's car's black Labrador retriever, commanding him to kill. And he wanted the blood of pretty young girls. This poor dog's name's Harvey. He wasn't really called Sam. The demon was called Sam. That's what Berkowitz said. An ancient demon. I mean, if he'd said Samuel... I would kind no, of Sam. maybe. It's also the it's same name Sam. as his neighbour as well. The guy who owns the dog's called Sam. So reaching. I call reaching. bullshit on that one. Well, when the police searched Berkowitz's apartment, they did find satanic graffiti scrawled on the walls and diaries with details of his vicious and cruel acts were all in there as well. Letters and notes that he'd written calling himself the monster, Beelzebub, the chubby, chubby behemoth. <laughs> the chubby? <laughs> Chubby, Can I chops? <laughs> so oh there were discrepancies in this case, right? And there is a Netflix documentary called Sons of Sam. Investigations showed that Berkowitz didn't actually resemble the many police sketches that were made through eyewitness statements. And investigators did uncover a satanic-based cult out of town that Berkowitz belonged to. So it is now believed, Michelle, that Berkowitz didn't work alone. So this no. neighbour, Sam Carr, with his poor dog, Harvey, who is possessed by a 6,000-year-old demon, he had two actual sons of his own, John and Michael Carr. They were known to police because they used to hang out in the local park, Untermeyer Park, in a decrepit pump house known as the Devil's Cave. And inside this pump house, it was decorated with blood, upside-down crosses, mutilated animal corpses that had apparently been used in ritual sacrifices. It was all there. Very Bloody witchy, hell. very dark, you know. So... 
apparently John Carr looked eerily similar to one of the police sketches of the killer. And there was a private investigator called Maury Terry who became convinced that the three were all in it together and that they were members of a satanic cult known as the Children, which was an offshoot of a British cult known as the Process Church of the Final Judgment, which, by the way, started in the UK in 1963 by a married couple who were Scientologists who left Scientology to start this. And I think they're very upset at how their process church has been tainted by its affiliations with not just Son, Son of, of Sam, Sam, but also Charles Manson. And no. Charles Manson oh. is also tied in. I'm not going to go into the deep rabbit hole because we haven't got the time. But Charles Manson is also affiliated with the Sons of Sam murders. There, I mean, How? I could go on. I was led down a massive rabbit hole. Wormhole, yeah. Wormhole. We need to put a pin in that, Jordi. Pin this. We've got to come Absolutely. back to that. That's, Or maybe for some extra droppings over on Patreon. One of the theories surrounding Berkowitz and the Son of Sam murders is that the Carr boys and potentially other cult members had carried out the Son of Sam shootings as a way of causing chaos in society. And in 1993, Berkowitz named both of Sam's actual sons as accomplices or perpetrators, although he did maintain that he was involved and definitely guilty. So he wasn't trying to offload the guilt. He said, no, I did it, but I did it with these guys. John right. Carr police went to John Carr's front door at this time in 93 he committed suicide with the police at the front door and his brother what? Michael died in a mysterious car crash holy shit yeah so for more information on that guys go and find Sons of Sam on Netflix it's full of stuff I started watching it but I didn't finish but I'm going to see if it's still there check it out Berkowitz, wow. he did admit three years later after being arrested that he never truly believed that he'd been possessed by his neighbours, that the, the dog had been possessed and that it was all a hoax. The dog thing was bullshit. And he repented and found Christianity in prison until he died in 2015. He saw the light. He found God. So I have one more little story to tell you in light of the possessed dogs. Demon dogs is what I've called my part of the episode (gasps) today. Demon dogs. I love that. I love it. One more demon dog to tell you about. Prancer. You may have heard about Prancer because he was the subject of a very famous meme not long ago. He was a two-year-old chihuahua living in a foster home until his foster mother, Tiffany Fortuna, posted a Facebook ad. And it says this. I don't know about this one. This has passed me by. It says, I've tried for the last several months to post this dog for adoption and make him sound dot, 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 palatable, she wrote. The problem is, he's just not. There's not a very big market for neurotic, man-hating, animal-hating, children-hating dogs that look like gremlins. But I have to believe there's someone out there for Prancer because I am tired and so is my family. Every day we live in the grips of the demonic chihuahua hellscape that he has created in our home. So Tiffany Fortuna wrote that fellow chihuahua owners would understand what she was talking about, saying Prancer embodied the chihuahua meme that describes him as being 50% hate and 50% tremble. And she goes on to say, if you're intrigued and horrified at how this animal sounds already, just wait, there's more. Prancer came to me (laughs) obese, wearing a cashmere sweater with a bacon, egg and cheese stuffed in his crate with him. I should have known in that moment this dog would be a problem. 
She went on to say that his, <laughs> she went on to explain that his previous owner was an elderly woman who treated Prancer like he was a human and didn't socialize him. And she goes on to say, sprinkle in a little genetic predisposition for being nervous and you've concocted a neurotic mess, a.k.a. Prancer. His first week, he was too terrified to have a personality. As awful as it sounds, I kind of liked him better that way. He was quiet <laughs> and just laid on the couch. Didn't bother anyone. I was excited to see him come out of his shell and become a real dog. I'm convinced at this point... He is not a real dog, but more like a vessel for a traumatized Victorian child that now haunts our home. No. <laughs> oh, my God. But you know what? You never know what you're going to get, do you? You really don't. You never, with dogs, you don't know what you're going to get. Tiffany goes on to say that Prancer only likes women. So if you have a husband, don't bother applying unless you hate him. We also <laughs> mention we also mention no kids for Prancer. I think at this point you can imagine why. He's never been in the presence of a child, but I can already imagine the demonic noises and shaking fury that would erupt from his body if he was. Prancer wants to be your only child. Geordie, <gasps> this sounds like a joke. It's, it's real. He likes to go for car rides. He is housebroken. He knows a few basic commands. He is quiet and non-destructive when left alone at home. And even though we call him Bologna face, he's kind of cute to look at. He also smiles when he's excited. Finding somebody who wants a Chucky doll in a dog's body is hard. If you've always, <laughs> if you've always wanted your own Victorian, own haunted Victorian child in the body of a small dog that hates men and children, please email dot dot dot. She says. Oh, also he's only two years old and will probably live to be twenty-one through pure spite. So take that into account if you're interested. Thank you. Now, okay, was this online that you found this? Yes, and it was actually a Facebook ad. She was trying to get rid of it. And she did end up, like, lots of people signed up to take on Prancer. No. It worked. Do you know what? The comments section of anything like this is where you find the gold. Oh, yeah. Were there comments? What I were didn't people look. saying? Oh, I didn't look. gosh. I wonder who got Prancer because, honestly. Some lucky devil. <laughs> he's a catch <laughs> so that's about as far as I managed to find out about demonic dogs there's only one famous demonic dog and that is Sam who it turns out to be a hoax all along I mean desperate times you know you're looking at the slammer maybe even death row and you're just gonna you're gonna go the the insane route aren't you like oh the dog made me do it or he was in a cult Yes, I forgot that bit. That yeah. small detail. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho. Oh, amazing stories. I love those. Oh, demon yeah. dogs. Demon dogs and psychic pets. I know. Well, I only really had one psychic pet, Donut the dog, which, you know, it's horrible because the only reason we know Donut was psychic was because someone actually did die. Yeah, that's terrifying. Yeah, it's not the best. But look, if anyone has any psychic pet stories, anecdotal or any in their local news brag, let us know. We want to hear from you. Do write in. You know how we love it. And of course, there's the Patreon that you need to sign up to to get extra droppings and eventually merchandise. Just sign up. Sign up. Give us a tip. We've got a tip jar. And in the meantime... Whatever you do, wherever, wherever you, are, you are, just keep, keep eavesdropping. 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 Eavesdropping.